Think Again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 51st program of Think Again and our ninth remote program in the time of the coronavirus. This program is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that's been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jennifer Burrell. Jacques isn't here today, but I'm talking with Tim Kennedy, National Secretary of the United Workers' Union. Welcome to the program, Tim. Thanks very much, Jennifer. It's good to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Pleasure. Well, the nature of work in our system has certainly come into high prominence with the coronavirus and the impact on people's lives and also the responses by governments. In past programs, we've talked about the high level of casualisation of jobs and the precariousness of work for many, many Australians, a phenomenon that's really been exposed by the pandemic. We've welcomed federal government initiatives like JobSeeker and JobKeeper payments, which we would not even have believed could happen even four months ago in our conservative political environment. The increased JobSeeker payments for unemployed people are certainly against the usual blame and punish the jobless approach of the federal government. So with the coronavirus and mass new unemployment, the Morrison government was willing to spend $130 billion over six months and support 6.5 million workers. So, bravo, we all said, while still lobbying to include other groups left out, like casuals with contracts of less than 12 months, international students and also the many migrants on restricted visas. Now, in the latest development, the Morrison government is being pilloried for a huge accounting blunder, with $60 billion more available than they had budgeted for, which would actually make some things right, or could make some things right, and include many of the previously excluded groups with much-needed financial support just to live in many cases. So meanwhile, over the last couple of days, Prime Minister Morrison announced a plan for industrial reform in the midst of the coronavirus. And he's talking about bringing employers and unions together in talks. And I'm thinking perhaps the headings in the age say it all. On the 27th of May, it said, unions get seat at workplace table. And the next day, reform to go ahead without consensus. So that's my introduction, Tim. So, Tim, we really wanted you to share some of your vision for the future of work on Think Again. But first, would you like to make a few comments about the current situation? Well, uh, Jen, thanks for that. We, we certainly live in strange and challenging times, uh, and they've revealed the bitterness of everything we've been told that was solid. Uh, I suppose mm. I could start by saying that crises have the power to reveal and deepen existing problems, uh, reveal inequalities and contradictions. And it's the view of the United Workers Union that working people 
we're in a crisis before the outbreak of this COVID mm-hmm. pandemic. But this experience has brought into sharp relief the enormity of the issues that we face as a society. You know, issues such as mm-hmm. loss of social mobility and agency for people. Uh, that's been brought about by entrenched poverty wages and the many obscene high wages for the few. And so we have a phenomenon mm-hmm. of wage stagnation, insecure work, and the loss of collective bargaining power by workers. Uh, these are all examples, mm. Jennifer, of a broken system. And so mm. our initial response really is this. The status quo has always been unequal, and we are saying that this crisis is making it increasingly untenable. And really, I suppose, um, really revealing it in a really huge way for a lot of people who might have been unaware. Oh, no no so, doubt about that. Uh, yeah. Tim, what do you see as some of the pressures that will require us to organise the way we work differently in the future, including things that the pandemic has laid bare? Well, one of the things in responding to that question that the crisis has highlighted is how important the work many members of my union do really is, uh, from the care work of early childhood educators or aged care workers or people working in the hospitals to cleaners, uh, people who pick and process the food that we rely on to moving important goods through warehouses to making the pharmaceuticals Mm. uh, we rely on. People doing the work of the greatest social value are more likely to be in insecure work and low-paid work. And that's what Mm. this this whole crisis revealed. There's There's been a great deal of talk about the idea of working from home the reality is for many working people, uh, that's not relevant to their life. To keep society mm-hmm. functioning, they need to put themselves physically in the factories, hospitals, education and care centres to deal with things in a physical sense. So how we do this in a post-COVID world is contested right now. Uh, and we say, and we say forcefully, there needs to be a stronger worker voice in how work can be performed in a safe and respectful uh, and safe manner. Uh, the The pandemic is really just the latest manifestation of the climate crisis. And just as we need to find ways to work with extreme temperatures, which our workers are increasingly have to deal with, we now have to learn, we're going to need to learn how to work with with disease pandemics because the destruction of ecosystems is is going to bring about these pandemics more regularly. So there is a major challenge um, to the way we're going to have to work in the future. There's no doubt about that. Mm. And as you say, there's a lot of work that's being done that's really essential that we don't normally value and suddenly we're seeing all this work that's really essential and valuable and yet those workers are underpaid and living quite precariously and often in poverty. Mm. Exactly. I mean, it became very obvious in this uh, crisis that the bankers and the investment managers weren't that necessary. They could all go home. But, Mm. you know, the warehouse workers and the food processing workers and the cleaners... They are very necessary, the nurses and their carers. And so it, it really has sharpened the complete brokenness of the system that we live in today. Uh, it is mm-hmm. a broken system. And so, you know, the status quo has always been fundamentally, you know, problematic. But we, we're saying it increasingly needs a major rethink about how we move together as a society in the future. Mm, and what a good time to do it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, we'll turn to work um, to some music, Work, by Rory Ellis, followed by a promo, and then we'll come back and talk more after that. You gotta work, work till you drop. You gotta work, man, don't stop. You gotta work, 
3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June station appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR, 855 AM on your dial. 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. I'm Jennifer Burrell and today I'm talking with Tim Kennedy, National Secretary of the United Workers' Union, about the future of work and the directions we could take. So, uh, Tim, you recently spoke on a forum called Workers Fight Back, No Worker Left Behind, which was played on Green Left Radio on 3CR 
on May Day, which of course was the 1st of May, we were really interested to hear your vision for our collective future. We do need our visions and I think we all need to be visionaries um, for change to happen. So you talked about having an income guarantee and jobs guarantee and also a universal basic income. Can you tell us a bit about what you meant by these things? Um, why do we need them and are they really possible? Yeah, well, the jobs and income guarantee idea, and it's an idea we continue to work on, is premised on the fact that we thought that preserving the privilege that people came into this crisis on the way out of the crisis is not an answer to long-term sustainability and security for all. So mm. it's, it's essentially about focusing on people as having fundamental rights, Jennifer, in a wealthy society such as ours. Um, yes. Just a quick comment on the on the job keeper and job seeker. While uh, they are significant and we wouldn't have thought a government such as the one we have now would have been capable of making that decision at the start of the year, mm. they have some fundamental problems with eligibility. They're not universal in implementation. Uh, and they also mm. are about preserving the notion of who is deemed worthy and who isn't. Uh, and the fact that it was driven through employers in the JobKeeper sense basically treated people as shuttles of employers and employers are the mediators and they determine who gets gets what. So mm. our notion of a basic income is one that is a guaranteed periodic cash payment delivered on an individual basis. The payment is unconditional and it's meaning that the recipient is not required to work or demonstrate a willingness to work, nor is the payment means tested. It's basically, you know, uh, an example of uh, uh, a, a, a dividend of our, our, our shared wealth when people are in mm. all sorts of bother, like they are right now. Mm. And so mm. we think that it's, as a, as a social dividend on our collective wealth, uh, during a time of crisis and insecurity like this, basic security is a natural public good. And we think this mm. is something that actually has... Uh, has merit, you know. Uh, is it possible? Uh, well, our view is that a crisis like this is the time, you know, people have been throwing the old line around by Milton Friedman, you, you pick up the ideas lying around. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's some uh, merit to that observation. But it's possible if we collectively choose to confront the crisis of rentier capitalism, which is which has been imposed on the world. You know, we have inequality in this world increasing. We have increasing insecurity. We have increasing debt on working people. Mm. We have increasing precariousness, automation, mm. climate crisis, and populist governments. If we are not mm. able, under these enormous uh, stresses, to be able to advocate for something decent for everyone, uh, I don't know when we would. So I, I actually think it is... Uh, I actually actually do think it is possible, uh, but it does need collective action. It does need organisation, and, and that's something that we need to do here at the union, and then broader within within uh, within groups who share our values. Yeah, it's interesting how you've uh, emphasised that collective action because I've been hearing all the debates around people. Are, some people are saying, "Oh, nothing will ever be the same. You know, every things will change." And others are saying, well, from some past crises, sometimes things do revert back to the way they were. And it has occurred to me, is it really requires action. We have to be proactive in making change. We can't really be passive and just <laughs> wait for it to happen. Um, and especially when the people taking action might be the people who already have wealth and power as well, which is um, quite a formidable force, as we know. So, it um, is. It, 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 significantly. 
So I'm definitely with you on that one, um, Tim. So um, I suppose you've also spoken about bringing essential services into public ownership, and, and this is another idea that we're really interested in. But it's it's not a new idea in a way; it's an old idea. Um, having essential services in public ownership is something that's been undone, I guess, over several decades, where um, essential services have been privatised. So, um, uh, private ownership of utilities is really, I think, you could argue, is a failed experiment, um, as we've witnessed by escalating household bills, which everyone knows about and all the expensive mm. policy band-aids we're bringing in to try to protect people from people who want to make profit from essential services. So, anyway, can you tell us a bit about your vision of public ownership of essential services? Well, I mean, the idea of challenging notions of ownership uh, that currently, you know, imposed on us emerged really from the experience of the 2008-2009 Great Recession or credit crunch, where, if you remember... Uh, the banks, automotive companies, rail companies were bailed out by citizens and then at the end mm. of the crisis returned to private control uh, with mm. the debt remaining on the public balance sheet and these same capitalists then calling out for austerity. Uh, this mm. has played out not so much in Australia this time around, but it has played out in various parts around the world. And so, you know, our premise started from the call that you don't bail out essential sectors, you buy them. But it then mm. moves, it then really moves to that issue that you raised is that we need a permanent goal of bringing universal public goods back into public control and ownership. And so we started by identifying things such as energy, as you referred to, but also, yeah. you know, the health and care sectors, uh, telecommunications yeah. and public transport as other areas that we're interested in. Uh, we also believe we need to have a new conversation about ownership models and worker co-determination uh, and labour and environmental standards in that. Uh, uh, this is based on a belief that you know workers have the capacity to make smart decisions in the interest of the communities in which they live and beyond. It's it's no coincidence that you've seen unemployment in the United States now uh, go north of 30 million people wow. in the last two months, Incredible. which is off the charts. Yeah. Whereas at the same yeah. time in Germany, they've had a, only a very small increase, increase in unemployment of about one percent. Now in Germany, you have worker co-determination on the major employers. Uh, and when workers are involved in the conversation, they take account of things uh, such as people, whereas in America, they just mm -hmm. throw people to the, to the curb very quickly. So uh, we think that, you know, there's great opportunity here to reimagine the issues of ownership. Mm. Great. Thank you. Um, we'll go to a promo now and we'll talk more after that. The Sewer Show. Squatters and unwaged airwaves. Presenting views, news and interviews from the Centrelink queues. Information on your squatting, legal and other rights. Troublemaking news from around the world. Coming at you every Friday between 5.30 and 6.30pm on 3CR. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial. 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Tim Kennedy from the United Workers Union and he's sharing some really great ideas about the direction work could and I think should take in the future. So Tim, I'm wondering what you think about the idea 
um, of having more worker-owned and worker-run businesses in the future. I think you've touched a bit on that, but it would be really um, good to hear more of your ideas about that. Is there a place for this in, in your vision and the union and your union's vision of the future of work? Yeah, this has been um, an internal conversation inside the union for many years now. We do think there's a great opportunity uh, to reimagine ownership on a much broader scheme. And so the idea of worker cooperatives is something that um, we would really like to, to pursue. Uh, mm. it's, it's something that is very doable. I mean, people will probably know about the Mondragon experiment uh, in, mm. in the Basque country in Spain, which is a very successful worker cooperative. But here in Australia, there's, we did have dairy cooperatives which were farmer-owned. Uh, they've all mm. disappeared by and large, but there is no reason why uh, that we cannot develop um, uh, new ownership models that inv involve a strong voice for workers. Even as we speak now, the union supporting uh, a cooperative called CoPower, which is a way for workers to actually uh, cooperatively um, take back control uh, electricity um, distribution and retail and our co-power initiatives along with our union there's quite a few unions that are supporting that and there, there is something in that idea as well um, these things don't happen yeah. easily a number of years ago we sought to try and create a cooperative out of a, uh, a turkey processing plant in um, the Florio Peninsula in South Australia when the major employer uh, collapsed We've got a lot of resistance, but we learn a lot at that time as well. So this is something, Jennifer, we're going to continue to work out and see what we can do. Mm. I think I know the, um, the one that you're talking about. There's been a couple of examples where big companies were folding and the workers said, got together and said, look, we think we can own and run this. But what worked against them was the government policy and regulation didn't really support setting up cooperatives. There was a lot of red tape and it seems like we're not in a really good regulatory environment in Australia to actually support the flourishing of worker-owned and worker-run cooperatives. What do you think of that? Oh, there's no doubt about that, is that, you know, uh, corporations' law in this country dominates the notion of ownership, and so we do need to find ways to um, have different ideas of, uh, of people actually coming together and doing things apart from a proprietary limited or a publicly listed limited structure. Uh, governments need to be a lot more creative and a lot more imaginative and also spread the risk around these things throughout mm. the community. So uh, this is an ongoing conversation we need to have. Uh, it's been done, it's, it occurs in you know a very capitalistic society such as the UK and the US. There's, there are cooperative mm. structures there that work. So uh, this is something that uh, requires uh, more agitation around and looking for more opportunities. Um, as a union leader, uh, Tim, do you ever feel, I think this is a really interesting question for me, do you ever feel conflicted uh, in meeting the immediate needs of workers, such as jobs right now, which unions are expected to obviously preserve, and, and longer-term changes that need to happen? And one example I can think of is the need for, in the longer term, the need for less jobs that exacerbate climate change. Well... Yeah, I've approached it this way, Jennifer. I don't actually see a conflict uh, in the sense because our entire approach to this crisis is to look for 
uh, ways to make certain that people have dignity in our society. So the idea of a, of a basic, guaranteed basic income means mm. we don't need to make the choice between jobs right now or jobs in extractive industries that are going to do damage uh, or nothing. Mm. I, I don't think that organised labour should fall and, and does have to fall into that, that binary situation. So there's always going to be a need to transition and, and we need to do that in a way that no worker is left behind. But it doesn't always have to be in the traditional, they must have a job in order to survive. We are a very wealthy country uh, and mm. I think the idea around a guaranteed uh, basic income uh, and the idea around the investment that we need to release to renew our renewable energy infrastructure and our renewable energy mm. uh, industries. Uh, and what flows from that uh, is that we do have pathways if we choose to take them as a society uh, that don't mean that we have workers have to make that, that horrible choice either I put food on the table or I sacrifice the future for my children in terms of the climate. Yeah. And that's what played out in the, in the last federal election in Queensland. And I think it's a false choice. I think the union movement needs to, you know, and our union needs to be a lot more smarter about that uh, and the way that we can do it. We don't. It doesn't have to be a conflict. Yeah, and after all, what, what a devil's conflict that is. Immediate job to look after my family immediately and, um, or, and sacrificing families and people in the future and the planet in the future. It's a bit of a devil's choice, which, as you're describing, isn't a necessary choice. No, it's not. Um, it's a choice forced on us by the system. Yeah. Mm, so I, I think it, the, th the ideas that you're putting forward and the vision that you're putting forward, it's really important for us to have hope and vision and to be able to imagine different future because otherwise we're done, aren't we? If we can't imagine another way of organising ourselves, if we can't imagine it, it's very hard for us to organise ourselves towards that, isn't it? I think so, and a lot of people say it's quite utopian, but that's probably true, but the reality is utopia has a, has a, a, has a knack of creeping up on us, so we just need yeah, to be right. mindful that these things can extend ourselves. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of people, or a few people talking lately about it's important to have ideas lying around and for when their time comes. Sometimes people are doing a lot of work um, on organising ourselves a certain way for years and years and years and then the time comes and people have already been running their own businesses, running cooperatives, doing org uh, having organic farms and um, when the time comes, um, we're not all sort of looking at each other saying, oh, what do we do now? Because there's a lot of work, really good work that is being done now and as you say, there's lots of worker-owned businesses and cooperatives all over the world, very successful, so... Um, so, gee, the time goes fast. We are coming to the end of the program. But uh, finally, uh, Tim, um, can you tell us why people should join a union and how they can contact the United Workers' Union if they're thinking about joining? Well, I mean, you join a union if you want to make certain that you want to support people and workers that you work with and you want to actually have a robust and transparent democracy. And... Uh, we always encourage people to join the United Workers Union. The fastest way, if you want to join today, is to go to our website at www.unitedworkers.org.au. We've got a, uh, an improved online join form there. Or go to our Facebook page, leave a message, and one of our organisers will be in touch with you. Mm, that's great. And I think it's important to join a union 
not necessarily because you see a problem in your own workplace. A lot of people will say, I don't have a problem in my workplace, I'm treated well, I like my boss. It's a matter of solidarity with other workers because that's where people's power is to make this sort of change that you're talking about, I think. That's right. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. So, thank you again for joining us today, Tim Kennedy. No, thank you, Jen. It's good to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with Jennifer Burrell and my guest today, Tim Kennedy, National Secretary of the United Workers' Union. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. I would also like to thank Leanne at 3CR for doing an amazing job coordinating this program and lots of other things from the 3CR studio while we hooked up remotely. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and friends. To bring us into this program, we have World Turning by Yoku Yindi. Looking for you. 